Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we're talking about how to set your mind for success. How's the next 12 months looking for you? Pretty much the same as last year, or are you ready to make things interesting? So my guest today is Ian Sanders, and he is an author, a creative consultant, and a storyteller who works with some of the world's leading organizations helping them to unearth and shape stories and thought leadership. And Ian is joining me today from Leon C, England. So he's a little bit further away from me. I'm in Louisiana. He's in England and we're here we are. And he's here to share how he inspires people to spark change in their own lives and get more out of every day. And he said and this is important. He says that you are a work in progress and the designer of your own life. And I can't argue with that. Ian, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here and thank you for sending me your book. Thank you so much, Denise. I love it. Louisiana to Leon C. There's a uh, there's a journey. So it's great to be in conversation with you today. <laughs> Isn't it? And I love speaking. I have a lot of international guests, and I'm always so excited because you know when I first started this show, we couldn't do this. You had to be in my part of the country, or you know, the sure. United States or Canada, and that was it. So when I get to talk with people like you and read your book and get to know you, I'm all happy. So thank you. So you talk about, before I get started, the name of your book, and I didn't mention that, I'm sorry about that, is 365 Ways to Have a Good Day. It's a day-by-day guide to living your best life. Why did you write this book? Well, Denise, I think... Um how to have a good day is something so essential to our quality of life. And I think it's something that we can sometimes take for granted. We're so busy, aren't we? Do we really stop, press the pause button and kind of tune in to what we need, what a good day at work, especially, and, and in our lives, broader lives looks like. So, you know, I guess if you, if you go all the way back, if you rewind, you know, the, the, the starting point for writing the book came out of um, experiences I've had in my work life and in life at general. When I hadn't paid attention to the mindsets, ingredients, habits, behaviors that I needed in order to have a good day. And as soon as I started paying attention to those things, as soon as I started focusing on that, zooming in, if you like, on what really matters, it was a game changer for me. You know, my quality of life changed. So I thought, I've I've got to write all this down. And, you know, I'm a great, um, I'm a great kind of journaler and note taker. And during the first lockdown of 2020, I unearthed a pile of old notepads that I'd been keeping for probably went back 15 years. I think there was about 30 of them. And in those notepads that I'd been keeping, I found all these, well, I kind of call them nuggets, really, Denise, all these lovely observations, stories and ideas that were all around how to have a good day. So I wrote them all up. And um, they inform uh, the book that you've got in front of you today. And 
I was talking with you, thank you, and I was talking with you in the, my virtual green room, which is the five minutes before we go live, to make sure that we sound okay, and we're both here. And I was telling you that one of my, and it, this really struck me, and I put a sticky note on it, is number 131, Play With Sticky Notes. My thing with books, and I was I was sharing this with you, I am so blessed that so many of my my speak my guests are authors, they're speakers, they're brilliant business people, they're my mentors in many ways. But so many of you just say, Denise, I'll send you a book and I read the book. I actually read them. And I got to number one, thirty one, play with sticky notes. I went, Aha, he read my mind. I have got sticky notes all over these books. They get fat. They really do. Because I said, oh, yeah, and I I hate to mark up books. Maybe it's from being in you know, school and we spend a lot of time in the library and they say, don't mess the books up. I still don't want to mess up books, but sticky notes, that's my go-to. So let's talk about what you do with sticky notes. Well, I love that. Yeah, I love, I love sticky notes too. And, um, you know, even though I wrote this book, my copy here has loads of sticky notes coming out of the side of it. And I did a love <laughs> Me too. I did a one. And mine are different thing. colors. I have different colors for oh, different well, thoughts. I can't on that. Mine are all <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, oh, and an orange one. I just noticed an orange one. But I had a lovely moment um, in January where I got a group of people together in London for a group walk around how to have a good day. The book has been about out a bit longer here in the UK. And uh, in January in central London, in the Soho neighborhood, I got a group of people together. And it was lovely to meet some readers um, who'd read the book. And uh, one woman came along, and I was so pleased to see her. It was bulging with all these sticky notes uh, through the book of where she'd annotated or highlighted certain sections. Um, and for me, I suppose, you know, my love of my love of sticky notes is there's something quite playful about them, isn't there? I love I love coming up with ideas. I love playing around with ideas. And there's something about a sticky note which feels quite, uh, feels like an idea in development, doesn't feel too set in stone, does it? So I love to be, uh, I've got some by my side here, a little multicolored uh, stack of them, a little pad of them, and I love pulling them out and scribbling a random thought on it, and it might go on the pin board, which is in front of me now, um, or it might, might, end up in the, <laughs> might end up in the trash bin. But it's all about kind of getting ideas out there and just, making writing things down i'm a great believer in uh um there's a quote actually in the book from david allen some of your listeners might be familiar with he started the getting things done movement wrote a book called getting things done and he has this lovely saying which is your brain is for having ideas not storing information so i'm a great one for grabbing a a pad and pen whenever i can and um uh, i think that speaks to my love of sticky notes because it's about um, getting ideas down on Sharpie and a bright-colored uh, bright bit of uh, sticky note and playing around with them. And they're portable. You can take a sticky yeah. note. I, I may have one here on my desk. It may be stuck to my whiteboard. I've actually found them on my bathroom mirror. Don't remember doing it, but there they are. <laughs> so <laughs> there must have been a reason, right? Yeah, you bet. There must be good quality ones that the uh, they didn't steam off in the uh, the, the, the moisture from the uh, bathroom. Exactly. Oh, and here's another thing I do, which has nothing to do with sticky notes, but it's, you just kind of got a thought process going. You know, you're not supposed to store things; you're supposed to create them. 
Yeah, you want to store them, but your brain can just handle so much. So I use bathtub crayons. When I'm in the shower, that's when my brain just goes, oh, I, I can think, I can breathe, I can hear great thoughts. And I found out that if I wasn't getting them written down, which is so important, they didn't make it from the bathroom across the house to my office. It might have been a, a really great thought and it was perfectly crafted, but it wasn't by the time I made it in here. So I take bathtub crayons into the shower. I scribble all over the walls when I get out and the steam clean, you know, steam is gone because you can steam broccoli when I take a shower. I will take a picture of it, wipe the showers down, and I still have those thoughts. Then they can go into sticky notes or a document or wherever they, but they're portable. Yeah. It's kind of what we're talking about. Well, I love the shower. I'm with you. I mean, I must admit, I don't have the bathroom crayons, so I haven't, uh, I haven't crayoned on the wall yet. But, um, you know, I, I, often, I do come out of that shower so often, and I'm running for, uh, running for a bit of scrap paper or my notepad by the side of the bed just to jot something down. You know, it's very productive time for me when your brain isn't focusing on, oh, let's have some ideas. You're just, you know, getting up, starting the day. And there's a, exactly. there's a, there's a funny story um, I tell in the book about, because um, uh, I'm suggesting that readers can think about, you know, where they have their best ideas. And uh, the the uh, Hollywood screenwriter Aaron Sorkin, who wrote The West Wing, he tells a story of uh, uh, finding that having a shower was the way that he always kind of got creatively unstuck. When he got writer's block, he would take a shower and then, you know, the the uh, the pen would flow again or the keyboard would go crazy with all these ideas. And he, uh, he, he said that he sometimes took between six to eight showers a day. He got a shower installed in his office just so he could... He could he could have that right there. So whenever he was feeling a bit stale, jump in the shower, and uh, the ideas would flow. So that's a bit extreme, six to eight showers a day, but I love it. Well, two to three is not extreme, right? <laughs> Especially if it's cold. But I think there's something there, which is, um, something there which is at the heart of kind of having a good day, which is this idea of habits. And I think habits can be really, really important. You know, a habit is making... Um, a commitment, maybe a daily commitment to something or a commitment to something that works. You know, I often say, you know, if something, if something works well, um, then do it again, you know, repeat it. And I think that's the thing about, you know, the shower story is if you have your best idea in the shower, you know, go take a shower. If you have your best ideas, you know, walking the dog or sitting in your neighborhood Starbucks, then you know, go there. It's all about tuning into uh, to what you need. That's exactly right. And when I can't just jump in the shower, and I love, listen, honestly, you could steam broccoli. I get it so stinking hot that I probably, this good thing there's no wallpaper or anything, and I'd probably peel it off. But my second best thing to do is do what I call um, open-door refrigeration meditation. We all open the refrigerator door. We all stick our heads in there. We all go blank. It's a good way to just clear it out and say, hmm, oh, there's that thought again. It just came back. Shut the refrigerator door and go back to work. I do it multiple times a day and deliberately. <laughs> well, I've not heard that one before. I have to make a note for the, for the follow-up, for the, the sequel to this one. I'll put, put, put that in the uh, open-door refrigerator room. 
mindfulness. Love it. <laughs> That's right. It works. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll go outside and you know, I'll go outside barefoot under my pecan trees and I'll just get out there barefoot, dig my toes down into the ground and just go blank. Just breathe, you know, talk to the birds, whatever it is I'm going to do. But I think what the point we're making here is we have to walk away from our computers, from our keyboards, from other people, from the noise, you know, the generated noise that's around us and find our own little pockets of serenity. And that's when we get creative and that's when we start to understand what's really going on in our minds. Absolutely. You know, stepping away from the desk is, um, is a real kind of obsession of mine. And I do feel for some of my friends and you know, colleagues and people I work with who work in organizational cultures where, you know, maybe in the days before COVID, they have back-to-back meetings all day, and now then perhaps they're working remotely, but they have back-to-back, uh, you know, video calls all day. And I'm like, you know, when do you get all the important stuff done? When do you get all that, you know, having those breakthrough ideas, doing those analytical deep work, or just uh, having having ideas? And I'm, I realize I'm fortunate in someone who works myself, that I've been able to carve out a work life uh, which optimizes for, you know, how I work best and how I have a good day. That means I hard fake stepping away from the desk into my day. It's what I do. I couldn't work any other way. If you uh, shackled me to my desk all day, you know, I would, uh, I'd really struggle. I couldn't do my best work. So, um, of course, we're all different. Not everyone. Some people like the quiet serenity of, um, you know, a peaceful environment. Other people like the bars of a busy coffee shop. I'll be honest, I, I love a bit of both. I think there's time time and place for both in my uh, daily life. Sometimes I want to be super quiet, but this morning, uh, you know, here in Leon C, I started my day um, at my neighborhood coffee shop. It was, it was busy, it was noisy, it was buzzy, but I still, you know, that was a very important 30 minutes for getting some really important things done. And Sam, with you, I need... I can go either way, but it depends on my mood, but mostly I need to be quiet. I'm an introvert. I'm here by myself deliberately. I cannot, I'm deliberately unemployable, by the way. You cannot hire me to work in your office. I don't play well with others. I run with scissors, and if you want coffee, you can get a Joan damn self. I'm not doing it. So there's that. (laughs) But I find that, like you, I have to, even though I'm here all by myself, thoroughly enjoying myself. My creativity is often off the charts. I still need to walk away multiple, multiple times from my desk, from whatever it is that's got me. I may be building code. I may be building a website. It's all, it takes a lot of thought. And sometimes my brain just says, can you shut down for a little? (laughs) So I do, and I pay attention to those nudges, and I just go shut it down. But you're right, so many of us don't have that opportunity. But it's really, and this is why we're talking today, we need to find those pockets of serenity or create those pockets of serenity and and find out where it is that you really need to be in your head so you can be the best you no matter where you are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I advocate for people who work in organizations to, um, you know, maybe I know a lot of people work in company cultures where, other people put meetings in the uh, calendar. Have, you know, you have a shared calendar of people take a look at what you're up to and put a meeting in. Uh, and I say, you know, put in meetings of one. 
putting medium, and they're like, what's a medium one? A medium one is, you know, your opportunity to take, say, Leonard, this is an important session, whether it's 60 minutes or two hours, where you can do the work that really matters. You kind of put it in as a meeting, therefore you're kind of making it sacred. It's not, it's not touchable uh, diary space for someone else to put something in, but it's um, time for you to get in the right, you know, get in the right mindset, perhaps, you're working in an office building and you're in a location where you can get out for a walk you know maybe you can go out for a walk during that time or you know just sit somewhere in a quiet space book a meeting room put some headphones on whatever you need as I say we're all we're all different but um, it's about I think it's about tuning into what you need and that is at the heart of the book you know the idea that we need to slow down notice what we need we need to pay attention to what we all need in order to have a good day and I think that is where a lot of us uh, you know me included in my own story sometimes so busy we're moving along at 100 miles an hour and we don't always stop to go is the life I'm leading and the way I'm approaching my work life consistent with who I really am or have I just gone along with someone else's notion of how things should be especially in the world of work. You know, I went through my 20s, you know, my formative years in the world of work, uh, you know, having fun, working hard, achieving a lot. But it never occurred to me that I might um, disrupt the usual way of doing things and say, well, look, I need to work at home that morning or I'm now going to go for a walk along the canal or river or whatever, you know. So um, the heart of the book is that first we pay attention to what we need and tune in to who we are and what we need and then you know we can build a life and be more intentional about making sure those things are present uh, which is why at the beginning you know I know you you talked about this notion of um, you know our work lives in progress that we are the designers of our own work lives and I guess this goes back to what we're saying about sticky notes I love this idea that um, you know we're in development we're a work in progress ever-changing we can iterate, we can experiment, we can try things out, can't we? You know, people listening to this can try out the shower idea with the crayons and, you know, we can try try out carving out quiet space in the day and um, see, see, see what results they get. And if it doesn't get great results, maybe we try something else. You know, we don't have to just do things one fixed way. And it's really a matter of becoming aware I think and when you're so busy and you're just in your words trying to squeeze that results out of every waking minute you don't really know what you do what you need you don't really know that you need to just stop breathe just stop and for a lot of people just stopping is just foreign it's not something that they've been taught you know, if they're in an office where you've got a manager hanging over your shoulder, jingling his keys, you don't know what to do. You just keep on going. And it's very difficult. So something else you said, I think during our pre-interview, is you said it's not—it's your life, not a business model. So let's explore that a bit so we can, you know, explain to people why it is that we're both so passionate about taking care of yourself, listening to yourself, finding ways to find those pockets of creativity and peace and make it a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that, um, yeah, that, that, that quote you just reflected back, you know, it's your life, not a business model came out of my own experience when I took the leap. Wow. Just over 20 years ago now to, 
to work for myself, to start my own business as a kind of solo entrepreneur 20 plus years ago. And when I first took the leap from organizational life to do that, I thought, right, you know, I've got, um, I've got five days a week to fill. I need to hire some clients. I need to find some clients, sorry, to hire me rather, uh, clients to hire me. And I need to uh, sell my services and I need to, you know, make as much money as I can. And, and after a while, I realized that model was um, just not sustainable for me because part of the reason I'd gone to work for myself was to have a better quality of life. And I was trying to squeeze, you know, ideas, uh, results out of every kind of waking hour. I would take a train ride into central London from where I live here by the coast. And I think, right, you've got 50 minutes. What are you going to do on that 50 minutes, Ian? Are you going to you know, work on that document, get your laptop out? And I said, why are you, you know, why are you doing this? And I had a bit of a wake up call because I realized that um, I wasn't really living the life aligned with who I really was. Yet, as my own boss, I had total responsibility for carving out a work life that, you know, around who I really was. So why wasn't I doing that? I think I was just falling prey to kind of the old model, the 20th century model of uh, work. <laughs> That's right. I did the same yeah. thing. Uh, so that was like a you, Sorry, like you, I've been doing this for about 20 years, and I did it deliberately. I went back to college. I got a computer science degree. Nobody cares. I did because I had to pay for it. And then I started my own business. And I remember when I left school, they said, oh, we've got, we've got a couple of interviews for you. And I said, have you paid any attention to me at all during the time I've been in your school? No. I don't want to work for anybody else. I will be working for me. And it was deliberate and it was scary. In fact, one of my guests yesterday, Monday, I think it was. No, today's Monday. Friday. I'm sorry, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. She, we were talking about solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and she said, listen, a lot of it can be termed sufferpreneurs. We do. We fail. We get up and we mm-hmm. run into walls. But you know what? It's who we are. And that's yeah. why we're a work in progress. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad your experience kind of echo that. And I think, um, yeah, it was a bit of a wake up call. So hang on, you know, this, this is, this is my life. You know, we have this life and uh, we have an opportunity to, you know, consider the choices we make and to think about those choices really wisely. So, you know, as I say, I said it a lot in the last uh, uh, 20 minutes, you know, we're all, we're all different, but I think um, for me, you know, I am not trying to, you know, generate as much income as I can in order to optimize everything, every, everything I possibly can out of every waking hour. I want to make sure that I have opportunities for downtime in the working week, that I can take lunch in the garden if it's nice weather, that I can take the dog for a walk. I could possibly go and listen to a podcast and do all those kind of things during the day. You know, this uh, mission I'm on, if you like, around how to have a good day does come out of experiences of struggle in the world of work, both as a solo entrepreneur, also, um, you know, wind back to me at around the age of 30, where I had a bit of a kind of burnout where my job was really making me ill and I'd lost all sense of joy in that job, which is why I quit to do my own thing. And I think when I look back to that, uh, those weren't healthy experiences for me, Denise. And I think it was very important that I, you know, saw the light, maybe learned the hard way through struggles with, you know, depression and uh, 
poor mental health sometimes along the way to realize, look, you know, I'm not going to kind of cane it. You know, I'm going to really look after myself and build a business, build a viable commercial business without compromising all those things about, you know, one's own, one's own health. And um, this is your life. It's your life, not a business model, I think is a really nice kind of um, call to action, if you like, about um, not trying to squeeze something out of every waking hour. Oh, I was so guilty of that. And I catch myself falling back into that every once in a while. And look, I'm the boss. Sometimes I have yeah. to have a talk yeah. with the boss. You know, she's out yeah. of control. Yeah. Sometimes I do. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about during our pre-interview was that you were sharing that throughout your professional life, you've experimented with life-enhancing habits and hacks. And I'm going to ask you about uh, number 33, start a uh, self-storytelling habit. But you say it resulted in two decades' worth of conversations, detours, and journals. And we've touched on those a little bit. So can you share how that's really kind of created what you're doing now? I mean, you shared yeah. why you started it, but let's go a little bit deeper, if you don't mind. No, thank you for prompting that. Yeah, I think I think the kind of, you know, the experimenting for me was because I did have that realization about the amount of flexibility I had in my work life. So I so I did experiment a lot, and to someone that's never really had a proper fixed office, apart from you know at home where I'm speaking to you from now, I always thrived, for instance, on being quite nomadic. I always found that I had my best days when I was moving around different locations, especially on the days when I'd be having meetings or meeting people in London, in central London. You know, I would maybe start at a coffee shop and then go and work in a hotel lobby. And then if it was nice weather, maybe sit on a park bench and then I'd go somewhere else. And and I thought these were wonderful experiments about where and what and how fueled my best work what were all those ingredients and it was lovely i felt like a an explorer you know with my journal having these days seeing what worked well for me realizing how much journeys always fueled me and um i continued that theme of exploration for a long time and i still continue it now um you know once i um i figured i always had great ideas on a journey on a business trip somewhere but i I didn't have many business trips in my in my diary at that time. This was about you know, six years ago, I think. So I w- went to one of my favorite cities, which is Amsterdam, which is only a 35-minute flight from where, where I live here in the UK over to the Netherlands. And Amsterdam's a wonderful city that's so pretty, the canals and the architecture. And I I kind of took my took my work life to Amsterdam for a, for a couple of days. I didn't have a reason to go. I wasn't meeting anyone there. I was just experimenting with different environments um, to see, you know, to see what worked for me. And I know that, you know, that, that I'm speaking from a position of privilege where I could afford to jump on a flight and afford an Airbnb in another city. But I mean, sometimes those experiments don't need to take that kind of budget. You know, we can experiment with um, sitting in a different position in our apartment. We can experiment with going to sit in a public library or a coffee shop. And I'm a great fan that we can experiment with, um, you know, just different zones, different places, and seeing how those different places unlock and fuel and suit, you know, different parts of our different parts of our work. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that we can experiment with that. Also, 
doing a walk and talk often, for, especially for an informal meeting. Even if I was meeting someone for the first time, I'd say, let's not meet in a meeting room or a coffee shop. Let's go for a walk. That was a great experiment. Learned a lot about the power of, uh, power of the walk and talk. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole stack of them, and a lot of them are in the book. Uh, I've ended up in the book of those experiments. And um, as I said earlier, you know, I'm really advocating that people that pick up 365 ways to have a good day can not, I'm sure not every idea is going to appeal to them, but see which ones resonate and that they can experiment with some of these habits too. Listen, I I got kind of stuck on number 33 and 34. 33 start a self, I can't even talk. Start too many S. <laughs> In this sentence, start a self-storytelling habit. And then the next one is stop to listen, which I think is critical. People don't stop yeah. to listen to themselves, to just hear the birds outside they, or each other. They're too busy, you know, forming that next thought or that next rebuttal. And we definitely right. need to talk about that. But the storytelling habit, I don't know about you, but for the longest kind of time, well, we we all do this. We we really talk ugly to ourselves. We do. And I will tell anybody if a person, a human being spoke to me in some of the terms that I speak to myself, I'd bloody their nose. I'd probably need bail money. <laughs> but we, we do speak. And we have to stop that. We have to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, that's not true. You didn't mean it. Don't talk to yourself like that. But storytelling I think that's how you you craft a new way of talking to yourself of speaking to yourself of hearing yourself so can you share I mean you said you started with a scrapbook that you made 35 years ago so let's that's a fascinating story let's go down that road well yeah let's start with that one which is in the book and then I'd love to talk about how we all have the opportunity for crafting a different narrative perhaps a different story that's less less hard on ourselves but um you know, storytelling uh, is at the core of my work that I do now. And obviously, you know, it's, that's what the book is. It's a collection of 365 little stories. But the story I tell there in idea number 33 is, you know, when I was 18 years old, I went on a wonderful kind of month-long rail trip adventure around Europe. You know, some of those classically iconic European cities uh, your listeners will be familiar with. Even if I haven't been there, they would have heard of them, you know, Paris. Florence, Venice, uh, Barcelona, uh, Munich in Germany, Amsterdam. And uh, it was a wonderful trip because uh, in the UK at the time, there was this wonderfully cheap rail ticket where you got a rail pass for £100, perhaps $140 or something, which you could uh, travel on for the whole month. And I went on this trip and I was 18 years old and I, and I rode a I wrote up a kind of a story, a journal. There's a scrapbook with ticket entries and ticket stubs from art galleries, uh, photographs, postcards. And I, you know, I must admit, I have thrown some things away over the last uh, 30, 30, 40 years, but I'm very glad that I hung on to that because finding it, I found, I, I, you know, I rediscovered that scrapbook to me and it, it was like a powerful kind of touchstone. And I'll tell you why, because I could see in the 18-year-old Ian, or I could see rather in the 50-year-old Ian, or however old I was then, I could see those elements of the 18-year-old were very present in me today. And I found that enormously encouraging, that those hallmarks of me as a young man, wanting to be curious, always exploring, 
trying things out, um, traveling was something that was present in me as an adult. And looking back at those, that scrapbook, uh, as I put in the book, you know, uh, starting a self-storytelling habit is like laying a trail for who we are and our purpose on the planet. We can use all this later to find our way in life. What I mean by that is when I, you know, when I unearthed it and read it, I found it very helpful for reminding me of my qualities of those hallmarks. And it reminded me to kind of use that as a compass to navigate as I was, you know, kind of hitting the, my, my, um, you know, my, my years as, uh, in my early fifties. So, um, I found that really powerful. Um, but I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad it resonated with you. I mean, what did you, why did you, why did you like that? I mean, I'd love to talk in a minute about, yeah, how we control over our story and narrative, but, uh, was it the scrapbook, the picture I painted? <laughs> it was. And listen, I, I'm an A-type personality. I write everything down. And for years I would have little day minders, you know, the little small purse-sized day minders. I had the big binder size. I still have them. And I can grab one of those going back 10, 15, 20 years, open a page, and I'm instantly right back. And it might only be a couple of sentences. But I can remember what I was doing. I remember, was it a good thing? Was I irritated? Did I want to hit somebody with my my car? I mean, you know, did we have those days? And it's like, oh, my goodness. I had, And you forget about them. You totally forget about them. They're moments in time. But unless you've got them written down somehow, somewhere, you're probably not going to recall them or what the weather was like. Oh, it was raining. You know, you just, you remember all of a sudden it's very vivid and you do take those moments back into your present and say, you know, I want that again. So yeah, storytelling. So true. So true. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't written them down, you can go back and you can just remember what you felt and you can try and capture a bit of that. Or if that, some of that feels lost from your life right then, that kind of feeling, it can help you get back there, I think. And you know, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, let me kind of shove this in there. I went through a really bad time after um, my divorce about 10, 12 years ago. I don't remember now. And I was journaling. I have an online journal. It's Well, it's not online. It's on my desktop, but it's a... I can type in it and I can, boy, I could do all kinds of things. And it was ugly. I was angry. I was seriously wanting to hurt somebody. We all do this after a divorce. And I finally just stopped. This is not healthy. Just don't do this. And I went back. I left it. I never went back. And I went, there was about a year's worth of stuff in there. It was just nasty. It was me being the worst possible me that I could be. And I went and I started to look at it a couple of years later. I went, oh, no. And I deleted it because it was so toxic. Mm. So avoid that. (laughs) If you're going to be writing down the ugly stuff, my best advice to you is don't. Just don't. Mm. You will be horrified, ashamed. You're probably not going to learn anything from it other than, wow, I was not a nice person at that time. So be careful. Wow, yeah, I, know, I, I hear you. I, and I think there is something to be said for kind of writing down the good things. I, yeah. um, I have a journaling habit that I've had for about 13 years, and it's kind of at the heart of the book. And it's a journaling habit I call Good Time. Every week, I 
write a list in my notepad, pen and, uh, pen and paper. I start it on a Monday, end it on a Sunday, and start a new one. So I start a new one this morning. And it's, uh, I write down in the week everything that's the good experiences, the experiences and moments where I felt most me, where I felt most fueled, um, fueled up, fired up. Could be family, could be personal, could be work. So today, you know, having a coffee, talking to Sam, who's uh, made me my coffee at the top of the road, lovely woman, you know, having a chat with you right now, taking the dog out for a walk. And what I found that is part of the paying attention that I talked about earlier, the noticing what we need to have a good day. But at the same time, it's kind of, I'm always scanning the day for the positive. But I do think it's changed my outlook to be much, I mean, optimistic person anyway, but to be more positive on my outlook because bad things happen. And sure, you know, we have bad days. We have bad moments. Uh, even the author of 365 ways to have a good day has, has days which are, which, are, which don't go to plan, but it's about writing down the good things. It's scanning the day for the positive. And I have found that a wonderful, um, has been a game changer for me, and I and I talk about it in the book, and I think it's a wonderful way of writing down the good times, and then you know by default you have all this you know data, you have all these notebooks, I have all these lists going back of all these wonderful, wonderful moments, and it's a good reminder because I know it's a cliche, but it's a good reminder when I look back on those lists, Denise, just how important those little simple things are in life, and how often those are the things that bring us joy. You know, not the things that involve a big investment in money, but things where, you know, the sun is shining uh, and we're just feeling good with the sun on our face. First coffee of the day or, you know, just feeling in a good way or closing our eyes to the sun. You know, all those little things. I know they're a cliche, but, you know, that's been a good reminder for me for realizing, you know, what I need to have a good day because I wrote it down, wrote them down. Right. And my big my big issue was I realized that I gave myself permission for probably a year to just wallow in it. Right. I mean, I literally held my hand up, took the other hand and smacked my hands. Bad, Denise. Then I deleted all of it. It was garbage. Mm. It was garbage. How did but, it feel? How did it feel when you hit delete? Did, it, did you feel liberated? Did you feel refreshed? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm. Deeply embarrassed by the, the thoughts that I put down in there. I thought, man... I sound like a serial killer. <laughs> I didn't, but right, you know, right, it, was, yeah. it was just that bad. And I just kept going and going and go- I was really angry. And then once that was done, I never gave it any more thought. Today's honestly the first time I've thought about it. Wow. And that was probably 10 years ago that I deleted it. How fascinating. Yeah. I think and I've just told everybody what a, what a little brat I can be who, <laughs> well, I like your openness and honesty. I think mean, that's, that's refreshing. Um, but but I, but I think there's something else at the heart at the heart of kind of story here, which is you know we do have opportunity to reframe the story we tell ourselves. And um, an example of that for our listeners is, you know, I had a story of um, you know having a bit of a burnout in the world of work and uh, you know being depressed and uh, having poor mental health and having to quit my job and. Poor Ian, you know, what a shame. I had to, had to quit, quit, quit his career when it was going really well. I was telling this story of struggle and, oh, dear, you know, all the rest of it. And then I realized that there was another story to tell, which was just as authentic, just as honest. But it was a story of survival. It was a story of 
rebuilding one's life. It was a story of being resourceful. It was a story of being curious, a story of going on this journey of adventure and exploration uh, in my work life. And I realized that, you know, maybe it was time to stop telling this I have struggled story <laughs> because, you know, it was, yeah, I had felt a bit like, well, you're kind of getting the violins out a bit. You know, is that a constructive story to keep telling people? Is that a constructive story to keep telling yourself? Keep on telling in medium posts and blog posts and, oh, yeah, you know. And that is an important part of my story. And uh, I did a wonderful, uh, I talked at a wonderful event, the Do Lectures here in the UK. A bit like TED Talks, it's on a farm. It's wonderful. And um, I did give my Do Lecture, which I mentioned in the book. It's up there on the can find it's very searchable there's a video of me giving this talk telling my story which was very you know, powerful but after that I thought you know I don't think I need to tell that story again really you know I've done that and now there's a new story the new story is one of you know st- rebirth if you like story of starting again of rebuilding of being energized to do new things and that was a really was important a- lesson for me and did you notice I noticed I'm sure our audience did as well when you first started talking about your story and the struggle, your voice went, you went quiet. Your voice went down an octave. You, you sounded a little bit depressed. But when you talked all at the same time about changing that story, your voice went back up. Your energy engaged again. You're very different from one sentence to the next. I'm smiling because you're so right. And yes. Yes, I did. I did notice that. That's wonderful. I'm going to write that down when we're finished in my notebook. That's the really important learning from today. Thank you for thank you for the reflection and for um, amplifying it. No, you're right. You're right. And there we go. Then. So I discovered that as I was telling it out loud. But there you go. That is the difference. That is the difference, isn't it? We can talk about, oh, that was a difficult marriage, a difficult divorce, or you know, gone through grief. And these are all difficult things that we need to. They're very human things, aren't they? They're the my friend Jerry Colonna says, you know, the glory and mess of being human. Um, so, you know, we don't want to gloss over those. But it is a reminder about the power of the stories we tell ourselves and thus tell the outside world. And, um, yeah, really, really interesting. It is. And I was listening and saying, ah, oh, I wonder if he knows what he just did, but you did. So <laughs> you're very aware. <laughs> that makes me happy. I think I, yeah, I think I probably got closer to the microphone. It was leaning in rather than just leaning back. I had to struggle and then I got more excited and energized, didn't I? <laughs> you did. And, you know, people, and this is kind of an aside, but it's important in what we're talking about. People will ask me, you know, these days people will set up a, a podcast and they have to have editors and they have to clean it up and they have to let it sit for six or eight weeks before it's ready. I broadcast live. And what you just did is precisely why I broadcast live. I want to have these conversations. I want to hear you. I want the audience to hear you. I don't want to clean up anything. So there you have it. Well, kudos to you. No, I think there's something to be said in this digital world where everything feels so polished and the rawness of, you know, you and I are having a conversation here. We haven't got a, we haven't got a list of questions. We haven't said what we're going to do next. We're riffing back and forth. I love these conversations, whether they're in person or across the Atlantic as, it, as this one is. And I think keeping it raw is keeping it human, right? So I love that. 
Thank you. This is why I do it. I get to chat with people like you. I get to learn from you. And I've said this time and time again, my guests are literally my mentors. I don't walk away from one of these podcasts without learning one or ten things that mm-hmm. I can you know, put into place with my life. So let's go back to stop and listen because that's important. I think a lot of people don't stop to listen. They're rushing from here, there, yonder, as we say in the South. But it's a good thing to just sit listen you're talking about the different places that you know you you like to go you know sit around and get ideas and watch people and and write and do whatever it is you're going to do some years ago there's a little cafe in the next town over and i live in cajun country Cajun, and it's it's a thick accent it's a very thick accent if you're not from around here or have lived here in a long time you're going to say what language are they speaking well it's mostly english but kind of not (laughs) (laughs) and there's this one cafe and i used to call it the old boys club and i'm sure a lot of them have passed away because they were elderly when i would spend time in there but they would sit at this one particular table and i got to where i could tell what little town they were from in here, just by their accent, their Cajun accent. One might be from Philplatt, one might be from New Iberia, another one might be from Broussard. I mean, you could tell because every little community here has their own Cajun accent. And listening to them was fascinating. They didn't know it. I was taking notes because these were some fascinating stories, whether they were speaking Cajun French, which I finally picked up a little bit, or they were speaking Cajun English, which took me a while to pick up as well. Fascinating stuff. I'm going to have, and my point for telling you this is, I'm going to have to go back into my journals and read some of those stories, because these old boys were fascinating. Isn't that lovely, just sitting there and listening in to what's happening around us? You know, I I did a series of workshops with um, uh, the the BBC, you know, which is the public service broadcaster, a bit like NPR here in the UK. And um, I was working with television journalists and television producers running a series of workshops in loads of different cities around the UK. And one, it was a day-long workshop. And one thing I always did was I sent them away from their desk, away from the um, boardroom meeting room where we were doing the uh, workshop to our earlier point about stepping outside, stepping away from the desk. And these were people that were very busy, they had working cultures where they wouldn't go out of the uh, office or the, built, the newsroom often unless they want a story. And I sent them out on an exercise that I called Story Safari. And I asked them to do a number of different things when they were outside for one hour individually. And then they'd come back and say what they learned. But one thing was I encouraged them to just go and listen and to come back and tell me something they'd overheard. Could have been in a cafe, at a bus stop, on the tram sitting in a park, going into a store. And it was always fascinating because I asked them to do that just to get them to slow down, but also them to be more curious about the world around us. And so often we're busy, aren't we? Walking around from A to B and we're on a call or we've got earbuds in, we're listening to music or listening to a podcast, which is fine. But if you do that all the time, you're missing out on a lot. And I've learned that just by, you know, keeping your ears open just listening like your anecdote from the uh, Cajun bar Uh, and you know the chapter 34 in the book stop to listen is an interesting one because I think often when we think about just listening very mindful we might think about yoga 
or a super quiet space, which is fine. But the story I tell in the book about Stop to Listen is being in a very busy coffee shop, as you know already, one of my favorite environments. And I just wrote down in my journal what I could hear. A bell in the kitchen, pots and pans clatter, teaspoon drops in a saucer, a small boy cries out. Running water? Or is it the sizzle of food in a pan? Fifteen or twenty conversations layered over each other, cutlery being sorted into a container, the sound of a cup placed in the saucer. You know, just, just reading through those now, I can hear those noises, Denise. It's got a rhythm and hum of its very own, my kind of meditation. And I wrote that because I think it's important that we, some of us aren't going to have opportunities for super quiet, you know, in our day. We're busy, we're busy. So just find your version of being mindful and listening out. And I found that, what was it, seven or eight minutes maybe when I was sitting quietly in that coffee shop just listening. It was like I was at the top of a mountain just hearing the wind, but if I was hearing all this urban buzz, but it was wonderfully energizing. And I did experience a moment of, or quite a few moments of mindfulness, if you like, of being mindful, of being in the moment just by stopping to listen. That can be really powerful, can't it? It is. And listen, these days, everybody's got their earbuds in or their ruining their their neck by constantly bending over their phone or walking into light poles because they're looking at their phone. I think that's, listen, I love technology. I am known as a nerd in stilettos. I think in code. I love technology. But you are never going to see me out and about with my phone in my hand or earbuds. I'm walking. I'm listening. I'm taking notes, Mm -hmm. much like you just described. I'm just not going to have something stuck in my head and not hear or see what's going on around me. I'm just not. It's mm. I can't. Well, you're there. You know, you're being very present. You're not miss, missing out on that rich tapestry of, you know, what's going on around us. I, I you know, I think that's wonderful. I'll be honest. You know, I, I don't always do that. Sometimes I feel I want to have music in my ears or listen to a podcast but I make sure that I'm not doing that at the exclusion of you know what's going on around me so um, we can have some wonderful moments I think just of slowing down also just enriching our lives like you're saying hearing those old boys chat in the cafe you know or in a bar or something Um, yeah it was a coffee shop it's a very old coffee shop and I'm sure it's still there I haven't been to that part of town in a long time but I used to own a business not too far from them, so I would go in and you know, have breakfast or coffee. And honestly, I was just going in to spy. I wanted to know what they were up to. What they were, they were fascinating. I mean, and I was learning their language and I was learning their, their culture, which is very different from mine. And it, it's just fascinating, truly. And you know what? I may have to go back there now that I'm talking yeah. about. I may have to... Make a trip with a friend of mine. It's not a trip. It's 20 minutes away, but I just don't ever go there anymore. But we were talking. Boy, we are running out of time. We've only got about eight more minutes. This is one that I really want, and I cannot pronounce it. Number 57, show your appreciation with Cole Galson. What, what is yeah, that? Yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, where are we? Kelsey Gay. Uh, you remind it's me of a – Kole Gelson, it's um, number 157. 
157. So, you know, one thing I enjoyed, I love to learn. I love learning, learning things. And um, what was lovely about this book when I was researching it was, was I found all these little um, tidbits I've put in my, put in those notepads, that pile of notepads of interesting words, words from other cultures and languages. And I came across this thing I'd scribbled down, Kole Gelsin, which is a Turkish phrase, which means um, keep up the good work, apparently. And, you know, what I love about it is that um, it's tuning into just showing our appreciation to others. And as I put in the book here, um, you know, we're walking past a street cleaner or a garbage truck or a hospital porter, especially, you know, during recent times, these people are working so hard on the front line. You know, it's about showing our appreciation. And one, one never wants to be patronizing. You know, I always go, well, you know, I mean, I do it around here. You know, maybe a street cleaner. And I say, well, thank you, thank you very much for your good work. I might say something like that. Well, the Turkish have an expression that's perfect called say Gelsin, keep up the good work. And I think, you know, I love that we can, I would like it that we can all be, me included, you know, more appreciative and grateful of those people around us, especially you know, delivery drivers turning up at our front door with a package we've ordered online or um, the mailman or people collecting our garbage or a housekeeper in a hotel or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, that was a nice call to action to myself as well as the readers about showing our appreciation. And I love that. And I hadn't heard the term. So I it's a nice sticky note. I'm going to be paying <laughs> yeah. attention to it. But we do that around here, especially during like Christmas or, you know, when our poor drivers, you know, UPS, all of yeah. them, they are just run into the ground. A lot of people will put a, a basket with a note on their front porch and say, here's some water, here's some, you know, maybe a little candy or, you know, something oh, that is yeah. what you need. It's very common. I live in the South. We're friendly down here, but that's, it. it's very common to see that here. And it doesn't get stolen. You know, the, the drivers know that they can take a bottle of water a juice box, whatever they need to keep on going. And there's always a little thank you note. So we do appreciate their hard work. Well, I love that Southern uh, generosity. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it works. Listen, we've got about five or six more minutes. So I know we're talking a lot about the book, but you're not just an author. You are also somebody who, you know, you're a creative consultant and you work with some of the world's leading organizations. What do you do with them? How can people find you? Well, people can find me at iansanders.com. That's the best uh, kind of destination for discovering more about me. So you're right. You know, I wrote, I, I wrote the book because I'm passionate about um, I'm passionate about that we can all have better quality lives and better quality work lives. But I'm also passionate about stories, and I know that stories are great at sparking change and. You know, on the one hand, you've got this book of 365 little stories that hopefully are going to inspire people to try new things in their work lives. But also I work with big organizations where I'm helping them think about how they can tell, working with leadership teams and other teams in organizations, thinking about how they can tell better stories. I think stories are the best vehicle we have for communication. And I know inside organizations, there's a lot of information that gets imparted and it can all get a kind of lost in the noise and I think I'm a great advocate for humanizing communication how can we make communications more human and how can we just tell human stories at the heart of that so I do a 
storytelling, my storytelling for leaders workshop with uh, leadership teams working on that globally at the moment, delivering them uh, online. Also, I was in Ireland, a wonderful city of Dublin, early this month, running one in person for a global company. So, you know, that's kind of my core business, if you like, Denise. But I always love writing. This is my fifth book. So, you know, I want to practice what I preach. So I'm always a great advocate of the power of stories. And I think it was also important to me that I could kind of have this side project, if you like, as an author, you know, writing stories as well. And I'm still in your book. I'm not ignoring you. I'm thumbing through and looking for my, <laughs> sorry. It's like, oh, I, he stopped talking and I, oh, hang on. Let me get my nose out of the book. <laughs> so... One of the things that you say is skip the conference session. Look, I am not one of those people that needs to be in a conference or needs to be in a meeting. And if you click your pen, I will take it away from you. I can't stand repetitive noises. <laughs> so there's a reason I work alone. But you say that when you invest time and money going to a conference, the obvious way to spend your day is glued to what's happening inside the convention. But you're arguing against that a bit. So share. Yeah, that comes from a few experiences I've had at conferences where inevitably the best things happen, uh, you know, outside the conference room. I was fortunate enough to go to South by Southwest a couple of years running in Austin, Texas to uh, give a small presentation. And inevitably, I found the wonderful conversations didn't happen in Austin Convention Center. They happened, uh, they happened in rooftop bars and uh, coffee shops. And the chapter you're talking about, Skip the Conference Session in the book, is... Um, lovely experience I had when I went to Amsterdam to go to a tech conference called The Next Web. And uh, it's been recommended to me by a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, Karen Wickery, who's also in the book. And um, Karen and I wanted to catch up. We don't see each other much because we're on different sides of the Atlantic. And I thought, I said to her, you know, do you, are you going to go to the conference session on Friday? Because why don't we just skip it and meet in town and we went to a photographic gallery and we went for a coffee and we walked around looking at the architecture and went to a bookstore and it was a fantastic, fantastic morning. Now I know that, you know, that was me working for myself, being in control of my calendar. I guess if your company had sent you to go, <laughs> go to a conference, your boss might not be happy. If you say, Oh, well, I didn't go to the conference session on the last morning. I went to hang out with someone. However, you never know. Maybe your boss, she might be thinking, well, that was really smart because, you know, it's all about business is all about connections and relationships. And uh, maybe you can build better connections outside of the conference center. So for me, it's just about being a bit mischievous, being a bit playful, saying that's the obvious place we should be. Those environments can be stifling. You know, someone doing another PowerPoint presentation might be someone clicking our pen <laughs> next to us. So why don't we... Uh, you know, skip outside, take someone with us for a walk and talk and um, see if we can build better connections that way. It feels much more human to me than might, what, what might be happening inside the convention center. No question about it. I cannot, I cannot attend those things. I don't have the energy. I'm an introvert. I'm only good in something like that. And if it's really crowded, I can't go in at all. But I'm only good around a lot of people for about 59 and three-quarter minutes. I've timed myself. That's it. i got to go. So I, 
avoid those things. Listen, we are out of time, and I am so appreciative that you spent this much time with me, and it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you shared with our audience. One more time, tell people where they can find you, and then I'll let you go. Thank you so much, Denise. I really enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot about myself and my own journey, too, so thank you for that. 365 Ways to Have a Good Day by Ian Sanders, iansanders.com. Thank you. Perfect. Listen, everybody, thank you. And before we say goodbye, I'd like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. The truth is you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So go look for us, find us, and take us along on your success journey. Ian, thank you so much. It has been a distinct pleasure getting to meet you. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.